Hello everybody, this is David Goldsmith, and welcome to the Age of Infinite, a Project Moon Hut podcast series. Today we have an unbelievable guest. We've actually been speaking for the past almost half hour before the program. Her name is Trisha Nivazado. Did I say that right? Nivazada. Nivazada. Okay. I even tried. I wrote it out phonetically as I told you and I still screwed it up. I apologize for that. We have a, an amazing program uh, in line for you today. It is about how to sell space to brands and corporations. Now, Trisha is the principal of Space Marketing Group, a communications agency specializing in connecting, would you say, arts, culture to the private space to private space projects. And she's been actively involved in the space industry for about 10 years. So for many people, that's uh, an eternity when you talk about space in terms of the new way in which we're looking at space. So Trisha, great to have you on the show. Thank you for having me. Uh, I'm assuming that you have a few bullet points or a list of items we're going to cover today. Why don't we get them down and then we can move forward. All right. I'll start with number one. I have three points. Um, number one, the value of corporate sponsorships in space. I'm going to address that. Okay, next. Number two, a few examples of corporate partnerships in space. Okay. And last but not least, how to sell space sponsorships. How to sell space sponsorships. Okay. Can I, can I, before we get into it, it, I want to ask you a question to make sure that we, can you address what the term or what you mean by sponsorships is when you're giving the information? Just because it sounds, might be obvious to you, but I'm not exactly sure what you mean when you call it sponsorship. Sure. Um, When I'm referring to sponsorships, um, I'm speaking on partnerships for um, space companies and private organizations, corporations, and brands. Okay. All right. So where do you want to start with this number one in terms of, go ahead. Yeah. So let's start with number one. Um, you know, why should the private space industry partner up with corporations and brands? You know, what's the value? Look at the past to help us understand uh, where we are today in terms of this topic, which is corporate sponsorships in space. Um, about two decades ago, um, and in 2001, Jeffrey Mamber, who's one of the pioneers of the new space movement, also known as the emerging, emerging private space flight industry, signed Tito, um, Dennis Tito, uh, the first space tourist. Tito dropped $20 million in 2001 for a ride to the International Space Station, the ISS, and spent nearly eight days in orbit as a crew member there. Everybody that saw this on the news around that time saw this as a pretty exciting new era in private space exploration. Since then, every multi-millionaire and billionaire on Earth has known that they too can also purchase a space ticket to the International Space Station, just like Dennis Tito. And yet, how many of those high net worths actually booked a ticket or went so far? Not a lot. So, so no one's done that, or have there anybody be after Tito did that? Was there anybody else? Well, can you remember anyone else? 
no, I don't remember anybody else, but <clears throat> I'm not a big space follower, so I'm, that's why I'm asking. I don't, I don't think there have been. There hasn't been that many. There's been probably, um, you know, a couple here and there of high net worths that have gone to the International Space Station, um, and that's pretty much it, um, as far as as far as the space tourists to the ISS. So I'm going to tell mm-hmm. you why that that not a lot of people were inspired to go you know, to space after Dennis Tito. Um, the new space movement since the early 2000s has been following the commercial aviation model for acquiring its customer base for their public facing space tourism programs, right? So the model is that first the rich will fly and help further reduce costs, and then the masses will just follow. Okay. A few examples of you know space companies using this model are um, you know household names by now Virgin Galactic, Blue Origin, Space Adventures, uh, and also SpaceX with their big am- ambitions to go to Mars. Right. So the idea is first the rich will go, help further reduce costs, and then the masses will follow. Well, pretty much 20 years into the new space movement and post the first space tourist, Dennis Tito, we know now that there's just not enough people in the world that really want to go to space. You know, either they're not really physically fit or they can't actually, you know, afford it, right? Is that, I don't know. Is that the reason? Or just they are concerned that it's not safe enough, or you have to do it on a Russian vessel, or they're not NASA's not going to put you into the space shuttle, or. Well, you know, Virgin Galactic has been offering their you know suborbital space tickets for almost a decade now, you know, and and how many people have signed up? You know, maybe eight hundred, right? How how many people have gone to space um, ever since the beginning of space travel? You know, less than six hundred. So for 20 years, everybody that has had the money has known that they can go to space, just like Dennis Tito, but they haven't bought a lot of tickets. So, you know, the conclusion you could make at this point is that there's just not that many people in the world that are rushing to buy space tickets. Well, I um, <clears throat> let me push back a little bit because I don't know some people who bought the Virgin tickets and they were expecting things to happen faster. Uh, some people were waiting to see if it was going to be safe. I talked to people all over the world and they say they would love to do it. What's holding and them back? The, one of the risks is they're afraid that the technology is not working. I mean, Gla- Virgin had the explosion right. of their rocket. Uh, SpaceX had, in the early days, their rocketry blew up. Uh, there is, you're putting down a deposit on the biggest crowdfunding project ever, which is Virgin Galactic. It's a crowdfunding project. So there's nothing there for people to say, if I give you a $100,000, $20,000 deposit or whatever it may be, I don't know what the numbers are. You're going to get your return out of that. So I think that we need that proof of concept. We need that first one done. So I do believe that we'll have more people get there once they the risk level becomes tolerant, tolerable. Well, I, I hope so, but you know, Dennis Tito went 20 years ago as the first space tourist, and and you know 20 years later we don't really have a viable space tourism program to the International Space Station. There there isn't you know more than one going every few years, one space tourist. 
So, so I hope you're right. But for the sake of, you know, what's going on today, there just isn't a huge market that's, that's, you know, that's overbooking Blue Origin or SpaceX's rosters with, with wanting to go to space. Yes, I agree. Right? So, so, you know, I'm guesstimating that there's probably no more than 5,000 people in the world that really would want to go to space and can afford it in the next five to 10 years. So for the sake of guesstimation, that's my number. And so, and, and specifically for this group of people, the only value they see in going to space is on the experiential level. You know, the value mm-hmm. is in the experience. That's really it. And so this demographic niche is just not enough to support a viable space ecosystem economy, right? Now, the mm-hmm. world today is very is a very different place um, from where it was um, at the dawn of the commercial aviation industry a hundred years ago. You know, for one, corporations are playing a much bigger role in our daily lives and generational cultural norms, right? And I'm going to give you a quick example of this. You know, take the Red Bull Stratus space diving project in 2012. For all of us watching that day, right, that stunt. Um, it wasn't about Felix, Bomber, Felix Baumgartner, pardon me, breaking the uh, sound barrier record in a 24-mile space jump. It wasn't about that. It was, however, about the 10 minutes of live coverage that kept all of us on the edge of our seats, watching this Red Bull guy covered in Red Bull logos fall and fall forever back to Earth. It wasn't the Felix Stratus project. It was the Red Bull Stratus project, right? Mm-hmm. So, in fact, Red Bull wasn't even planning on using Felix's jump to create a commercial to sell more tickets on their balloon ride. But rather, they monetized on the content derived from Felix to benefit their brand. The footage gathered before, during, and after the jump resulted in millions and millions of eyeballs exposed to the Red Bull brand. And they probably made a lot of money from the ad revenues of this content story running in this YouTube era that we're in, right? We can kind of yes. guess guess that that's pretty accurate story. So now let's talk about Felix Baumgartner because he's a really important player in the story. In a sense, Felix is the exact demographic of a space customer, right? The people that should be going to space are the athletes, the space geeks, the deep sea divers, pilots, engineers, researchers. You know, um, the space customer that we really should be going after is the youth. Those are the people that can be easily trained to be astronauts and work in space. Now these people are not necessarily high net worths, right? But there's a lot more of them out there than there are billionaires, right? Can we agree on that? <laughs> uh, yeah, I've, I've, there's a lot more of them out there and I've got to hear your model of, so you, okay. I, I'm assuming you're using them as a, as the stunt, as the capability, and you use the corporation to be able to fund it, to drive more interest in the industry, which drives more people to space? Yeah, it's really about how do we get the people that actually want to go to space, that can add value and work in space, to space, even if they can't afford it, right? Um, So I'm going to share with you a hypothetical example. So like Larry Ellison, um, who I'm sure you've heard of before, the CEO of Oracle, worth like billions and billions of dollars. He probably doesn't want to go to space at 74 years old, even though he can afford it, right? He might just not be a high risk taker in that sense, or he might have already done it by now if he wanted to. 
But Oracle might sponsor three research scientists to fly to the International Space Station for research on anti-aging cures, a cause that Larry has already contributed over $330 million to, right? So what is the value for Oracle besides supporting Larry's cause and potentially finding a cure for anti-aging in this scenario? The value for Oracle is all the footage and content they can gather from this mission and how they can leverage it. You know, the media announcement alone, you know, could serve as a platform for anything Oracle wants to communicate to their customers, like new products and services. Can can, can you can you just book a, a an Airbnb weekend on the uh, space on the International Space Station? Yeah. Can you book time? I mean, is it that easy? Yeah, you can do that through. Um, you know, I don't know if Space Adventures was was the primary um, company that could, could um, you know, take care of that transaction. Um, and so I'm sure they're still around today. But yeah, you could do that. You, you know, you have to spend about a year to train. And um, right now, because you have to fly on the Soy- Russian Soyuz, you have to probably learn Russian. So it's just, it's not super easy to go to the International Space Station right now. But, you know, by the time summer comes around and SpaceX and Boeing um, you know, get certified to take people up to the ISS, you know, a whole new world's going to open up for us Americans here. So. Okay. I just didn't know if you can, you know, there's an online app that you can use. I, I like five days in the International Space Station, please. Yeah, you can go. I think, I think probably you'd have to go for like 10 days at a time. Okay. Um, but yeah, absolutely. You can go. There's, there's a number of people that have gone. Um, you know, obviously the first person that we spoke on, um, Dennis Tito, he was the face first space tourist that went. And so, um, and he spent eight days up there. And so there's a lot of training involved to, to, to be able to survive in, um, you know, a zero gravity type of environment. So going back to this Oracle hypothetical, um, now this, this hypothetical model now has real value for both Oracle and the space industry, right? SpaceX just sold Oracle three tickets to the International Space Station for about 100 million bucks, right? The scientists that actually want to go to space will have their dream come true of becoming commercial astronauts to conduct this research for Larry. And Oracle now has a compelling content story to tell its customers. This hypothetical commercial sponsorship venture would not only potentially result in anti-aging cures for us here on Earth, but it's also an idea that could help create jobs for the space ecosystem. A smart space flight company, such as SpaceX, could even turn this sponsorship into an ongoing program, you know, creating recurring business um, with Oracle by demonstrating to Oracle how they can leverage the content and milestones of each mission and experiment. And what makes this concept, you know, um, interesting and compelling is that it's a human story, right? It's not a robot going to the moon. This is a human story. Um, so for the sake of example, do you have any questions for me on that? No, I, I'm following what you're talking about. It's a, it's it's leveraging it's the brand leveraging the opportunity and they haven't done that uh the way you're it's an obvious expansion of branding 
capabilities that we do already on Earth. It's now we're just doing it in space. Exactly. So exactly. It's no different than going to look for pirate uh, things under the water or going into a cave to look for something new and then someone sponsors it. Exactly. So for the private space industry, um, the corporations are their gateway to access their frequent flyer space tourists. You can look at it that way, right? They can look at corporations um, as a selling partner as well. And so even last year, Jim Bridenstine, a NASA's administrator, has started talking about corporate sponsorships for NASA missions. I'm not sure if you saw any of those stories um, in the news. I, I, I didn't. I know Charlie Broden, who was the pre previous administrator. I don't know Jim. Yeah, so even NASA is really open to um, you know working with corporations in space um, in, in terms of just branding alone. So that's a really interesting um, you know update on that. And so really, bottom line, content is king when trying to understand what corporations need from sponsored programs and events, especially in space. And so let's remember that as we head into number two, my bullet number two. And that is, so I'm going to provide a few sponsorship programs, models, and examples. And it's not about putting a banner on the moon, okay? So there's the, these are a little bit deeper than that. So first I'm gonna start with a few examples of space projects that we can learn big lessons from, okay? The first one is my favorite. Um, I don't know if have you heard of uh, the Humanity Star from last year? No, I haven't. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. See, there's a reason for that, okay. so. I call this uh, this one the fake star. So in 2018, um, Rocket Labs, who's a you know a spaceship okay. company, they launched a three foot wide geodesic sphere called the Humanity Star into Earth's low orbit. Right, this shiny fake star was supposed to remind us that when we look up into the sky, that we're living on a rock in a giant universe. So since since you didn't see any of the headlines, basically it was it was a fake star, yeah. right? And so how many people do you think actually looked up in the sky to see this fake star? Uh, four. Exactly, right? <laughs> the next question that's an easy answer is like, what did this humanity star do for humanity in the end, right? Nothing. It, it did nothing. It did nothing except create more space junk, okay? So here's the lesson in this project. Now imagine, Imagine Rocket Labs launching this fake star into Earth's orbit, okay, streaming it live on YouTube to raise money for children's hospitals, right? Mm -hmm. A star, a hope for a child, right? Rocket Labs could have used this project to not only help children and humanity, but also to make money off of the live coverage of this event from advertisers and sponsors. It could have been a win-win for everyone. They could have even turned this into an annual thing where every year they raise money for children's hospitals, right? Now do you see the value in what could have been? I, I just, what I don't understand is why didn't they think of this in the first place? Why did they, I mean, it's, it, it, the, the challenge I have with the space industry, and I shared this with you in our short time that we've gotten to know each other, is I'm not a space person. And half the, the, the lingo in the industry is all wrong. The concepts, the, the approaches that are, are used are, are just in so many different ways should be altered. Someone should have thought of this. 
Why didn't someone think about this? People believe that everybody loves space and it doesn't, it's not the truth. So why? Why didn't they do this? I don't know. Why didn't they do that? It's, 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 it'll I can take you to my next example that's even funnier. You know, I, I don't even know if that's a word, but obviously it is in this moment. Yeah, funny, funnier is a word. Funnier is a word. <laughs> so so here's, this, here's the next example of, of hilarious space projects. So Pakari Suite. Um, in 2015, a Japanese company called Otusuka Pharmaceuticals Company announced plans to launch their beverage product, Pokari Sweet, to the moon on SpaceX. So this was just a couple years ago. It was supposed to be the first product to be advertised on the, on the surface of the moon, and the goal was to inspire kids to become astronauts, fly to the moon, find the abandoned can, drain it, right, for oxygen of some yeah. sorts, okay? Yeah. So, like, you don't just need to send oxygen to the moon, but you send this, like, soda can, and you use that for oxygen. That was the concept behind it, right? Yes. So, here's the elephant in the room on this project, okay? There's nobody on the moon. Right. Right. So, why would anyone care about a beverage can on the moon, okay? So, again, the value proposition, even from a marketing standpoint on this campaign project so on, it's so superficial that it almost makes you angry as, as a human being, right? Well, it, it doesn't make me angry. It's just it, I sit here and I say to myself as you tell these, even these two stories is I can not give you the names of people, but I can literally go down the names of stories of people who got so in love with space that it's almost as if they disconnected from Earth. Well, if we put this thing on the moon, everybody's gonna love it, they're gonna track it. No. Or if we do, everybody, no. It's it's almost the assumption that everybody is going to follow these initiatives and nine out of 10 companies fail. I mean, I brought this up yesterday in another interview. We had space mining from two big companies, uh, Deep Space Industries and uh, Planet, resources both with pretty good funding ended up collapsing so i don't understand i i don't know how to get this group of people who sit in the space world to connect to what you're saying the brands and the corporations right really really the bottom line is you know creating value creating real human value like putting a banner on the moon or in, or in the sky that's not that's not going to bring value to anyone, right? It's 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 a poor thought out idea. Um, you have to have value for the corporate partner. You have to have value for the space space company that's using their time, resources, and and money, right? And so and so the idea is like you have to first think of what is the value in my space asset for people in general, right? So okay. So now I'm going to share with you. Let's, let's, let's imagine, right? Let's imagine Pokari Suite, this Japanese company who sent a yeah. soda can to the moon. Let's imagine that instead of sending just a can to the moon on SpaceX's rocket, that they instead sponsored a sporting event on the moon, right? What if they had a contest to find two young people every year to go to the moon to create a new sport, like a prequel to the Olympics, but on the moon, and sponsored by Pokari Suite? Now, would this inspire more kids to be astronauts? And could we actually learn something here of value, right? 
Now, the prequel to the Olympics on the moon idea that never happened could have actually created thousands of jobs in Japan and America. They could have leveraged almost a decade of storytelling contests and milestones for them to monetize for their brand. They could have even brought other sponsoring partners and governments to mitigate risk. There's so many things they could have done, right? The truth is nobody really cares who the first in space to do anything anymore. And I'll revise that, meaning that nobody cares who's the first in space to do anything. Nobody cares if you're the first person to, you know, send a record to space, which A has already been done, but but you know, nobody just cares about that. That's just an old, that's we're past that era. People want to see value in space projects and programs, yeah, right? And corporations want to cater to those people. I think that we've also got <clears throat> we've got a lot of uh, let's say call them dead startups. We have an industry littered since the 1960s with aspirations and hope and dreams that have not turned into reality. So my take is uh, Otoshuka, if they had gone ahead with this, especially knowing Japanese culture, there could be shame and embarrassment and realize that shame to a Japanese person is not the same word it is as it is to a European or an American or South African. Shame is a completely different word. It is inherent cultural positioning. That's why they would stab them, kill themselves using the knives um, in their stomach because shame means something. So if they had done something where they said, we want this to happen and there was no return, it would not have delivered within the 10 years or five years or whatever it may be, there would be shame to the Japanese culture, there'd be shame to the people who were involved, and there'd be shame to their families for that type of behavior. And so there's a risk and not just taking the Japanese culture, but going around the world. I think there's, to some degree, some people are saying there's a risk of being associated with space and space not getting there. And I've had it even in Project Moon Hut. I've had people say to me, David, that's such a waste of time. Space is going to take forever. Why are you putting your hanging your hat on that? It's actually not going to take forever. Like literally, you can send a payload to the International Space Station in three months. You know, you can send a person to the International Space Station in one year. I mean, you have to train them, but if they're already trained, you can just send them up there. That's how I. I mean, some of the larger scale projects we're talking about. But that are in that concept are, phase, that are probably in concept phase. That, that Yeah, there's, there's there's so many of them. Oh, I know. So that's, know. you've been a part of them. Uh, you've As you've mentioned, you've been a part of some of these things that didn't make it. So I don't know how, I can see that there's a value. I think that the challenge is how to make that a real story that people can bite into. Well, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to create any more shame for the Japanese. But you know, just I think it was uh, a couple couple weeks ago. Um, I read a story that Japan plan. Th there's a company in Japan that plans to put on the world's first artificial shooting star display, um, okay. and that Japanese citizens will be treated to the first ever artificial meteor shower with new technology in the pipeline to replicate shooting stars. Now, really, like, why? Why are we doing this? There's there's so many people suffering on Earth that that need you know solutions and they need <laughs> cures, right? Why are we 
just going to throw a bunch of money into a bunch of fake shooting stars. Well, if you, uh, if you, I, I'm in Hong Kong right now, and I'm in Asia, and what we can, what Americans might consider to be valuable, important, doesn't always translate around the world to other cultures because they say the same thing when we have the uh, football game or we have other uh, other activities that we're engaged in. Uh, it's no different than guns in uh, Australia versus United States. We just have different beliefs. So, I think this company's doing it. My guess is as a stunt, this, the organization's doing it to bring notoriety to Japan, to show that they can do this, to show their tech, to show their capabilities. Okay. So it's... That's a point. You know, I mean, why not? We do things too. We put a, we put a car into space from SpaceX. Yeah. A Tesla. It's a stunt. Why do it? But but see that's the thing is is like there's the projects like this kind of ruin it for everybody else. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like like oh cool, another billionaire guy gets to throw something else out in space. You know, like everyone cares for two seconds, but then you know what's the value? There is no value other than he gets an ego boost. And so and so you know space projects like this shooting star and I'm not dissing any of them, but. You know, they they actually create more hostility and anger towards space, in in the end. You know, because so how how would you how would you change this? I mean, if you say you're talking about creating value in the space asset for people, so you're an expert in helping to. Um, I'm assuming you're an expert in having to recreate or remodel or reconfigure. How do you see making this more real or? Is there, a, is there a framework that you have that can help? I do. I do have a framework. And, and really, um, you know, in my first example, the fake star, you know, I, I kind of demonstrated how that project, that mission could have been revamped into something of value. You know, instead of just throwing a shooting star up there, why not connect that to, you know, a children's hospital or a nonprofit, bring awareness to something, raise money for something, you know, give people a reason to care about your space project or your car in space. And so it's, it's really about connecting the dots of, to what matters to people and, and really the, the people that are going to be watching what you're doing. So how do we determine if we send... We're saying that this, uh, what do we call artificial meteor shower is more of a gimmick but someone who puts a humanity star, I would say, is a gimmick. Uh, even though it's supposed to be helpful to the world to think, to, I think it's a gimmick too. How do we determine what gimmicks don't help us get into space and which gimmicks do? Do you, you understand what I'm asking? So which, which gimmick is totally gimmicky or which one is good to go? How do we determine yeah. what's what? Well, yeah. Well, again, it's it's what value does it bring in the end? You know. So if we can drive value from it, you have to drive value a, from it. Exactly. There has to be some sort of value in within research, development. Um, you know, something that that supports life here on Earth, or or it's just pointless. And it's it's almost. It's almost as pointless as just throwing stuff in space just just for no reason, you know. So, so I'm going to share with you my third example, which sure. is actually 
a really small project in, 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 the, in the sense of space, in the vastness of space, but it's a really cool project. Um, it's a cool mission that, that happened in 2015 um, that we can learn a lot from. And so Lowe's in 2015, um, in collaboration with Lowe's Innovation Lab, Made in Space, um, who is an aerospace company, and um, another, another subsidiary of Lowe's, um, so, so Lowe's, the, uh, which company, because there's a Lowe's, which is hotel chain. There is a Lowe's, which is the hardware store. The hardware, the hardware chain. Okay. So for those of you who are listening internationally in the United States, there is a company called Lowe's and they are similar to, if you've heard the concept Home Depot, but they are a hardware home, do it yourself type store and they have large big box environments. So that might help everybody. Okay, go ahead. All right. So in 2015, Lowe's in collaboration with, um, you know, Made in Space, who, who's, who's on board the International Space Station, um, they sent the first ever space-based commercial additive manufacturing facility and installed it on the International Space Station. So basically, they sent a zero-gravity 3D printer to the International Space Station. Okay? Not very expensive at all. Right. Mm-hmm. And the three, this 3D printer reached a milestone that year when it printed its first commercial tool, right? A cobalt branded wrench optimized for space with a hook and a clip that astronauts can use. So what made this so significant is that previously the astronauts had to use available items like duct tape, paper and toothbrushes for critical repairs, right? And now they're able to create customized tools and produce parts as they need it on demand. You know, before they had to have everything sent to them in you know, a suitcase on the payload. But now they could just print it on board. And approximately 30% of the parts on the, AS, on the ISS could be replaced and constructed by this 3D printer. That's a really big deal. So for the first time ever, Useful objects can be manufactured in space rather than having to launch them on a rocket, which can be really time-consuming and expensive. So, so just let me add one thing for clarity for, for people listening is that Cobalt is a brand of tools. So there was a, you said uh, a cobalt branded wrench. So you're actually double, you're you're using a branded material. So there's an an additive value to the the company of cobalt. Um, I'm sure there was for them. Um, And so. But just you use the cobalt branding. So I want people to know what, it's not a tool, it's actually a brand. Okay. Well, thank you for letting me know that. I'm not, I'm not super familiar with tools. I think think there was a cobalt, I think there, I think there was a cobalt brand. Um, Okay. I, be, I believe you are exactly correct. Mm-hmm. And so, okay, so here, this, this example on Lowe's, this is a great example of how Lowe's brought a solution to astronauts struggling with a lack of tools while living in space, right? And what happened in turn was that Lowe's had a great story to tell its customer base by using the footage of this very inexpensive mission, you know, to create commercials, videos, and marketing assets, does that does that does that kind of make sense of how it's a win-win situation for everyone? Yes, it does. I hadn't heard about it, uh, even though I'm a tool guy. But yes, it does. 
Well, you've heard of it today. <laughs> yeah, no, no, and I'm glad that I heard about it. That's why you're on the program, yeah. so that we can hear about these stories and people can get ideas on how they can change their branding or their approach to space mentally, physically, what they're engaged in. So, no, that's that's very good. I hadn't I hadn't heard about that. Well, what's the coolest thing about this project is that, you know, the next time a private space station you know, goes into orbit, whether it's like, you know, Nanoraxes or Bigelow's or whoever's, they'll probably be needing a 3D printer, right? And they'll probably want to get that from Lowe's. And so this, this, this project could turn into a long-term, you know, uh, partnership for, you know, home builder like Lowe's and, uh, you know, the space industry. And so this is an example of a really small but really great partnership in space. So opportunities like this and creative ideas on how to collaborate in space with corporations are, are really endless. You know, they're, they're as small as, you know, sending a new fork or a new spoon for astronauts to use to, um, you know, figuring out how to build um, and bring partners in for a new space station in low Earth orbit. So, so the, the opportunities are endless. In, to collaborate with corporations in space. And there are a number of people, including myself, that you mentioned that specialize in creating commercial models around you know, space assets. So if companies that are in space, you know, they don't feel like they have the creative resources to come up with these ideas and to pitch them to corporations, they can outsource them to you know, people like myself or, or companies like, you know, Flightline or people like, you know, Jeffrey Mamber from Nanorax and so on. And so, so that, that's just kind of what I wanted to throw out there that, um, you know, it's, it's about the ideas that matter and it's about the value these ideas bring to the table for everyone that, um, that create, you know, valuable partnerships. Have you been involved in projects that, with all the work you've done, with all the planning that just didn't make it? Yeah, definitely. I mean, um, I've, I've worked on a number of projects that didn't make it. And the ones that didn't make it were all the big ones. Um, the, I've, I've worked on a couple small projects that I never even thought would have mattered that ended up making headlines, you know. Um, but the biggest projects that I worked on that didn't make it, they broke my heart. I mean, it, it was, it, it was, you know, it, I, I spent years working on them, um, and uh, they broke my heart. I can share with you a couple examples, but um, I'd like to know. Just give me one from each, one that was successful and one that didn't make it, because the, the I think in the space industry, because it's so new, that there has to be an understanding that not unlike any startup or not unlike any business that the best intentions of man, whatever the saying is, don't always end up happening. Exactly. That's a great point. So one of my projects that was literally like one email or two emails that I, that I, you know, sent out that, you know, created a headline was I organized a partnership, a, you know, sponsorship type of deal with Virgin Galactic and the Oscars Academy Awards. I think it was like 2009 or something or 10, but it was around the time that Virgin Galactic really wanted to, um, you know, access the celebrity market for their space tourism project. And so 
it was just like the glove that fit. You know, I made like one phone call to Hollywood and, and we got a bunch of miniature, you know, uh, Virgin Galactic spaceships to the Oscar nominees and they were briefed on the project. And I think, I think that ended up resulting in a few sales, you know, for Virgin Galactic. And it made, you know, a number of headlines, you know, around the Oscars at that time. So that was one of the projects that I, I would consider on the easy level. Um, and then I worked on a project, I think last year, um, with an artist, uh, named Ben Ein. He's, uh, he's kind of a famous artist guy from, uh, England and he's known for his like graffiti font work, you could say. And, um, he was doing the largest painting in the world that he was submitting to Guinness world record. Right. And so this painting was painted on the ground and I think it was about, I want to say 300,000 square feet, or I could, oh it was maybe 175,000 or 300,000, like one thing. It was massive. And so he painted the words create, you know, the, on, on the ground. And he asked me to connect him to um, a satellite company so they could capture the image from space so that he could truly say that you could see this from space. And, and so I partnered up with Demos Imaging and, um, and they were like obviously superb to work with and they captured a number of images of this painting from space. I mean, it was wild that you could see a painting from space. And so for those of you, just to look, if you want to look it up, it's E-I-N-E, Ben Ein for spelling, if you wanted to look it up. Yeah. So, Okay. I just looked it up to see what the painting was. So that's, uh, okay. So again, that was, a, yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. How, how large did you say this? I, was? I believe it was 175,000 square feet or 300. I'm going to, I'll find out right now. But you know, in England, they're, they don't do feet. <laughs> no, uh, actually in England, they do, uh, they do inches and feet and miles. They don't do, um, they don't do set, uh, inch. They don't do pounds. They do kilos. Right. No, it's which one? Yeah. <laughs> You're almost there. I, okay, so it was a hundred or seven. Or I'm sorry, seventeen thousand five hundred square meters. And so, oh, wow. so I have to see how many that is in um, American language. It, it, square feet and. Um, it's 188,000 something something square feet. Yeah, it's big. Oh, it's, yeah, it's, it's really big. And um, yeah. so actually, I'll send you a photo of it. It's super cool. Um, but, you know, the inspiration for him was, was to send a message for, you know, to space for whoever's watching to create. And really, you know, creation is, is so organic to the human nature, right? That's kind of, kind of like all we do is we just create all the time. And so, um, so that was really exciting. But again, it was a really, um, you know, small project, which I didn't spend years on or anything that made headlines. Right. Um, and then I can share with you the dark side of the moon of, of my heartbreaks, which were, um, which were massive. Um, so I think it was around 2013. I, I can't quite remember, but around then, um, I was asked by Dr. Ellen Stern um, to come help package uh, manned lunar missions for Golden Spy Company, um, which was uh, just a group of 
extraordinary gentleman from the space industry and NASA that had organized this company to um, to sell manned lunar missions. It was just that basic, right? And so I came on board to sell, you know, on the corporate side. And they had told me that they had been um, chit-chatting with Red Bull a little bit, but nothing had really, you know, fruited from this, from the conversations, and they couldn't figure out why. And I said, you know, you guys can't figure out why the conversation is not moving for Red Bull to go to the moon because we haven't told Red Bull what to do on the moon, right? And uh, so I came up with an idea, a concept, a model, which was really a prequel to the Olympics um, for Red Bull to participate in alongside, you know, multiple stakeholders. And that was one of the projects that, you know, made it to the CEO of Red Bull and, you know, months and months and months. And then at the end of the day, it was just too big of a project for Red Bull. And so um, that was one of the projects that was kind of a heartbreak. Um, but I've got a number more that, um, so. Okay. Well, that's good. Thank you. Yeah. Okay. So to continue on, I know I took you off track a little bit. So in terms of moving forward and you've given us some examples, how to sell space sponsorships. Is that the number three, how to do it? Yeah. So, so the last part of this is, you know, how to do it. How do you sell brands and corporations space sponsorships? So my quick answer, right, is package sponsorship opportunities around your space assets and capabilities. Pitch them to corporations and close the deal, right? It's that easy. And so a few things you need to understand is that most corporations don't have the bandwidth to figure out what they can or can't do on your spaceship, in space, on the moon, or on Mars. They just don't know. It's not their expertise. And you as the space company have to draw a map out for them on how to um, partner with you, right? And so when you're trying to think of how to create a sponsorship proposal, you you need to include, number one, a compelling concept, right? Easier said than done, but really like, what is the value that, you know, your idea, your your um, space asset can contribute to society, humanity, people, or whatever. You know, what is the value in your concept? What is your concept? You know, how much does your mission cost? You know, do you have a production company that you can work with to gather footage from the missions that you're going to do? Can they distribute the content live if needed? Can they package the story for your sponsor if needed? So these are things that need to be in the sponsorship proposal. Compelling concept, the cost of the mission, um, a production company option. And then number four, you need to clarify you know, a return on investment model. You know, how is Corporation X going to be able to make money, um, g- going to make their money back plus some on, on, on partnering with you, right? Is it through the footage and content and how they leverage it? Or is it from the commercial applications derived from the potential, you know, developments and research? You have to identify this to some extent to the corporate partner that you're seeking. Number five, you have to map out how your corporate partner can leverage the milestones, right? So if your project is to go from here to the moon and you know that 
you have about like a five year, say, turnaround time from the time somebody puts a deposit down to the time that you can take them to the moon. You have to separate those five years into tiny little bits of, you know, how can this partner sponsor leverage, you know, us testing the rocket or can they grab content by interviewing one of the astronauts? And, and so you have to create a storyboard with, with all the different interactions they can have with you and, and give them an opportunity to be able to leverage that for, for their marketing assets or whatever they want to. And number six, revenue model, right? Is there a viable business model here, right? Can, can you have more than one mission to the moon? Can you create a program where it's ongoing, right? And last but not least, who are all the stakeholders that, that need to be involved? Who are your suppliers? Who are your partners? Um, will there need to be additional sponsors? Will you need technology partners? So those are all the things that you need to put in a sponsorship package before you can make a phone call and you know, submit a proposal to, I don't know, Morgan Stanley, for say, to, to sponsor your spaceship. And um, do you have any questions, Dave? Uh, I'm, the, the, it's not a question, it's more of a thought that you're still trying to find somebody, you have to find someone, I would believe, that has an interest in space, <clears throat> the, way this, the, the way the space industry is still working. And to a lot of much of the numbers are very difficult to put your your finger on. You're you're saying let's use the concept of being on the moon. We haven't been to the moon. I mean, Chinese just landed on the far side of the moon, but we haven't been back to the moon as humans in decades, most of our lifetime. So. The challenge is you're selling also the invisible with the hope that out of the 110 rocket companies that are out there today or something of that nature, there are 110 rocketry companies focusing on building rockets, that they won't dilute the industry so uh, so much that few of them can survive. So we have to see some attrition. We have to see some of them die. And that we get there. So if you're selling a concept of going to the moon and putting on and doing something on the moon, you're really having people buy into a leap of faith. And I, I don't, how, how easy is that? Well, you separate it into milestones. So no one's going to come and give you, no one's going to come in and give you $11 billion to go get them to get them to the moon, right? They might give you $10 million just so you can hire all the people you need to, to get everything organized. Right. And then the next milestone a year from now, they'll give you another 10 million or say. Right. So you have to separate the project into into mini milestones and then you have to figure out how to mitigate risk for for those partners. Right. And by mitigating risk, I mean, you know, could you help them find additional partners? For example, a technology partner, maybe maybe Google can come in to do something. Right. Or, um, or, or a different type of partner that has resources that they don't have. And so as far as, as, far as um, your question on the cost, yeah, they are taking a risk, but really, just like every other company that proposes a business plan, you're selling your cred credibility, your expertise, and your space assets. 
So if you already have a spaceship um, that can go to the moon, um, it's pretty likely you're going to be able to go to the moon, right? Yeah, if you, if you have that. We don't have that yet. But we do have so. that. We do have that. We have Elon Musk has that. Um, you know, Boeing has that. And and so there there are assets out there. Um, so if you're not SpaceX and you're, you know, space adventurers, which is just, you know, kind of like a travel agency for space, um, you would call SpaceX and say, hey, can I get somebody on your ship to space in two years, right? And they say yes, and there's your confirmation to give to your here a lot of what you're saying didn't exist two years ago so today you can make more of a generalized statement that okay elon musk can get us to the moon that's not true i mean golden spike had been offering trips to the moon for uh like i think 2010 11 12 something like that so they just couldn't get people who they just nobody no it. no it was just it was just too expensive right um, the time. How much was how much was it? How much did it cost? Um, I think I think probably for um, you know a program with three tests and so on. I think around then we could have costed it around you know eleven billion, right? Oh, so so it would have cost eleven billion. One person would have had to come up with it for that trip. No, so no, Elon. That's not true. One person. It actually two people could have gone up, but for you said eleven billion or eleven million billion. Okay. So you, that, that's a large number. So yes, we do have that capability, but that's a, what you're doing is using you're using an entire country's uh, GDP to be able to uh, not billion, but uh, you'd, you'd be using extremely large numbers. So yes, we do have that capability. So when you're selling something today and you're using the moon, are you when you ask for 10 million or 20 million or 30 million dollars you're hoping that through the lifespan of the sale these milestones that they're recouping some of the 10 million or 20 million dollars back and at one point even if the whole thing falls apart they've at least made their visibility their attempt their try and move something forward because the odds today of something succeeding are still small. So you're super on point. Really, the, the the partner can make their money back in those small increments of leveraging the content in those milestones, right? So so they don't have to wait till the end to get their money back. They can create a revenue model through those milestones to, to make their money back. But now, since we're talking about the moon, I'd just like to add that, you know, $11 billion is a lot of money, right? To sponsor the Olympics, I think, is like 100 million bucks, right? Mm -hmm. And so so when you're trying to sell the moon, you can't sell the moon to one guy. You can't sell the moon to one corporation. You have to sell the moon like the Olympics model where you have multiple stakeholders. Like if you had like 15 sponsors, right, for um, to sponsor like, you know, two missions to the moon, right? You could probably get that cost down to like, you know, five, six hundred million per partner, right? And that's almost equivalent to what they would spend sponsoring like the Olympics. So, so well, I think that what's his name? Uh, what's his name? Yusaku Masawa, what, uh, the Japanese billionaire who's willing to, I think he's spending a hundred million dollars with SpaceX to go to the moon or around the moon? Yeah, but that does, first of all, he's not landing on the moon. There's a very big difference in cost for a flyby and a land. Right. Um, 
for to land on the moon, you actually have to test two separate missions before you can even send the third one with a person on it. Um, to do a flyby, the guy's just going to do a flyby. Like he, he's not landing. Landing on the moon is the hard, expensive part. And so I don't know if he's spending a hundred million, but I think I think I think he's definitely um, a test monkey in the situation, which is fantastic. He just seems like such a cool guy. And secondly, I. I I think that Elon just needed to fill a seat for the flyby because I think it's one of his test flights. Does that make sense? So, yeah. Yeah. No, he's doing it. He's got a publicity component, too. So this is his partnership. He has brought in a person who's willing to put down a reasonable amount of money, which gives him visibility, which gives his company visibility, which gives uh, Elon visibility. And it, it drives the all ecosystem for SpaceX. Yeah, and I actually saw a documentary last night, and I can't remember what it's called, but it just came out on out on Netflix, and it's something about Mars, and it's just all about Elon and, and his plans and, and visions for, for Mars. And I just thought, wow, like, what a great partnership between, you know, production companies, Hollywood, whatever, and, and space companies right now. And, and Paragon Space Development just, just did another documentary. And so all this that comes out in, on television or Netflix or whatever, all this supports, um, you know, interest by the public to participate in space activities. So it's super awesome. Um, but again, you know, corporations have to have real return on investment. They have to have a real revenue model. They have to have real value derived to participate. Um, it's, you know, it's it's not as simple as the one tourist guy going going to space or doing a flyby on the moon. It's it's packaging a whole and a whole series of uh, a whole group of participants in a large scale project, but then we, we could go all the way back down to the Lowe's example, which was just to put a 3D printer on the moon and to show proof of concept to print something uh, on the International Space Station. Proof of concept, this could be done. And I remember in the first time I had talked about Project Moon Hut with Bruce in Palo Alto, I had said, there's, there's the first perfume made in space, the first perf, uh, the first pharma product that's being made in space, the first, and I listed a series of things that should be done. Even the first picture of two people holding hands while walking on one of the tranquilities or places will be used for Valentine's Day, which is tomorrow, uh, at least where I am, where you is, it's two days. And these things will eventually become more commonplace it's just going to take the question is what's the timeline there have been a lot of people out there hoping for this for quite a long time so um if we have some time i can share with you um an idea that never took off that i was working with google on sure let's let's do it quickly let's get a quick uh, example so so i thought of this moments. concept um um and it had to do about it had to do with art. And I thought, you know, when we're going to be living in space in a couple of years, right? At least on the International Space Station or one, on one of these like private space stations, you know, what is art going to mean to us? You know, is it going to be the same as it is on Earth? It can't be because there's no up or down, there's no sunsets. It's just it's just a whole different environment. And so, you know, what does art mean to us in space? And can it support our emotional stability during long duration space flight? And so I thought of this idea that, you know, you could work with a bunch of artists to create space art, you know, that's art that's specific to living in space, right? And you could auction this art off on the International Space Station and you could give 
a percentage of those proceeds to, um, you know, foundations like art foundations or, or whatever, like whatever, whatever um, was chosen at the time. And you can have a recurring model here, an ongoing model where Sotheby's auctions off, you know, this art and it's made by students one time, one time it's made by artists. And, and so it's kind of fun, right? It's interactive and people can participate and, uh, and it's not it's not building a rocket. It's not it's not some massive project. It's just a really small program that could be ongoing that could support, you know, the space ecosystem. And so, it, yeah, that's that's a, a great example. And in, in the book I shared with you, we're writing that has to do with Project Moonhead and the Age of Infinite. We do talk about uh, we're so focused on STEM. That we have to remember that in space there will be steam sports. Uh, there, yeah, there'll be sports. There'll be art. There'll be food. There'll be textile design. There'll be all many of the thing. Many of the activities that we engage on Earth, we will have in space. And the ecosystem is not just focused on building rockets and high tech. It is also the psychology of space. So there's there's a lot that goes into it. So this has been fascinating. Thank you very much, Trisha. I appreciate you spending the time with us today. So I'd like to uh, end the program by reminding everybody that Project Moonhot Foundation is now going on five years where we've been focusing on developing uh, sustainable life on the moon through the accelerated development of an Earth and space-based ecosystem with our desired outcome of changing how we live on Earth for all species. While we're going into space, there'll still be between 7 to 10 billion people living on this planet. And we hope to make uh, our time in space amazing and our time in, on Earth something that we should look forward to. So if you would like to find out more, we've got projectmoonhot.org, which is the, our website. You can go to facebook.com forward slash projectmoonhot. You can connect with us on Twitter at projectmoonhot. So everybody out there, I'm David Goldsmith, and thank you for listening.